this morning, and let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37 uh, in the scriptures together today. And I'm looking forward to getting into what God has for us as we continue our series in Genesis. And uh, thank you to our worship team, our choir, for helping with uh, all that today. And that was a lot of fun uh, in uh, a time of worship there. But now we're coming to uh, what is so important for our lives today, the time of the preaching of God's Word. And so get, get your Bibles out. There are some notes, outlines for the message today, if you'd like those, on the back table. Before we get into the message, we're going to hear a message in song. And this truth right here that Miss Debbie's going to sing for us is so good, and it goes right along with what we're going to be looking at in the Scripture today. And so let's hear this message in song for Miss Debbie first. How can I say it is well when my voice can barely speak? How can I sing you a song in the midst of suffering? Jesus, will you meet me here? Let your peace wash over me i need you now more than ever teach my soul to sing my god is still in control and still he reigns on his throne Though mountains will crumble and sea billows roll, I'll sing it is well with my soul. My God is still in control. You have not left me alone, though the world has let me down. All of my sorrow and pain, I will trade it for a crown. Thank you for staying with me when the night was closing in. Whatever my lot, you are still God. I will sing again. My God is still in control and still he reigns on his throne. Though mountains may tremble and sea billows roll, I'll sing it is well with my soul. My God is still in control. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. 
My God is still in control, and still He reigns on His throne. Though mountains may tremble and sea billows roll, I'll sing it is well with my soul. My God is still in control. My God is still in control. A timely, a timely reminder for us there. I had never heard that song, but it is a blessing. Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to be at in the scriptures this morning. And I hope you found your way there, excited to get into what God has for us today as we continue our series in the book of Genesis, discovering the roots of our redemption in this wonderful first book of the Bible. And already we have began marching through Genesis chapter 37, and we find our way midway through this chapter of Scripture now. And in this chapter we find, the Bible tells us, is the beginning of the story of Jacob's descendants but we, as we discovered last week, the story of Jacob's descendants is really a story that surrounds the life of one of his sons and probably the most notable of his sons, and that is Joseph. How many of you heard of Joseph before? All right, well, there you go. And uh, we're studying the life of Jacob's descendants and specifically uh, what happens with this guy, one of Jacob's sons named Joseph. Now, as we saw last week, the problem in Jacob's home began when Jacob began to favor his second youngest son. He had 12 sons. His second youngest son over the rest of his brothers. And that produced a lot of issues in Jacob's household. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of envy and strife that came as a result of that. And add insult to injury, Jacob favored Joseph so much that he gave to Joseph a, a coat of many colors, it was a chieftain's robe. It signified that he was going to be the heir in, in front of the rest of his brothers. And his brothers did not like seeing him wear that robe. And uh, then to make matters worse, as we saw last week, God sent two big dreams to Joseph. And Joseph had these dreams that all of his brothers were going to bow down to him, that even the great rulers of the world were one day going to bow down to him. And when his brothers heard about that, boy... Uh, they, they, they almost lost it right then and there. They just couldn't stand the idea of Joseph thinking that he was going to uh, uh, be in such a place of prominence that there'd be a day when they would bow down to him. And yet, with all of this strife, with all of these issues happening in the home, Joseph actually was a really good guy, <laughs> okay? He wasn't a prideful guy. He was actually a very godly man. And a lot of the circumstances surrounding his life were negative, but we find that Joseph in the scripture is a type of Jesus Christ himself. He points us to Jesus Christ himself. And so we learned all of these things last week, and that brings us up to speed in Genesis 37, beginning in chapter number 12 today. Let's look at verse, or verse number 12 of chapter 37. The Bible says, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Skip down to verse 23 for sake of time. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, 
And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread and lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it that we should slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. And then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and, drew and lifted Joseph up out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And go down to verse number 36, if you would. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh's, and captain of his guard. Joseph dreamed about the day when God would put him in the palace. Did you know that Joseph never dreamed about the day that God would put him in the pit? But little did he know that the pathway to fulfilling God's dream for him, the pathway to the palace, was going to go through the pit in prison. That's how life is. There are times when life puts us in the pit. Uh, perhaps you've heard the phrase or maybe you've said the phrase, uh, this is the pits, all right? We say something like that, we're talking about uh, uh, the parts of our life that are horrible, the parts of our life that we don't like, the parts of our life that stink, okay? And if we're being very honest, some of your pits stink more than others, okay? <laughs> and uh, I'll just leave that there. But even in life, some people have a harder lot, it seems like, than what other people have. But the fact is, you're not going to go through life without going through some pits. And uh, uh, no doubt we see in a literal sense Joseph going through that here, and all of us experience that at some point in life. And so here's my question for you this morning. What do you do when life puts you in the pits? What do you do when you find yourself thrown into a pit in the middle of your journey of life. And as we look at Genesis 37 today, I believe from Joseph's life, God wants to teach us this principle. Don't quit in the pit. Don't quit. Now, what can we learn from Joseph's life? What can we learn from Joseph's experience going through the pit? So this morning, I want you to notice with me four truths you need to remember when life puts you in the pit. Four truths you need to remember when life puts you in the pit. Why don't we pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts, and then we'll get into the scriptures. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word. And Lord, I just pray you'd put a holy hush on, on this room uh, here now during this time. Lord, all of us have come with different burdens, and uh, some of us may be in the pit right now. Uh, some of us may not even realize we are. But all of us at some point will find ourselves there. And I pray, God, you'd give us relevant truth for our lives today from this old uh, account in the scripture. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to set aside all distractions and that your spirit would speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Four truths you need to remember when life puts you in the pit. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, surrender will put you in the pit. Surrender will put you in the pit. The story of this, this account in the scripture begins with Jacob and his family, though they were upset at their brother, it begins with them getting back to work. In verse number 12, notice again, the Bible says, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, 
Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flock, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. It was time uh, for the, the Jacob's uh, sons, uh, they were cattlemen, it was time for them to move the cattle again. They had uh, worn out the area they were in, and they were trying to decide a new area for them to go. And so they decided it was a good idea to go back to Shechem. Now, Shechem was a place that had caused them a lot of problems in the past, but they hadn't been there for a while. Things had calmed down, and so they decided it was time to go back to Shechem. And as they went, uh, the Bible indicates that they must have been gone for some time, longer than what they normally would have been. And uh, perhaps a year it was, some say, we don't know. But they were gone for a while, so much so that Jacob began to get worried. He got worried because, remember, Shechem was the place where two of his sons had murdered an entire village of people. Now, that was not a good deal, okay? And that was reason for other people from that region to perhaps be mad at Jacob's sons and maybe seek retaliation. And so Jacob was a little concerned for his sons, and so he called his second youngest son, Joseph, the one he had made the heir. And he said, Joseph, I want you to go and check on how your brethren are doing. And uh, no doubt, Joseph would have rather just stayed home in Hebron with his father. Uh, the name Hebron, it means fellowship, is what it means. And it's a picture of uh, the fellowship that Joseph had with his father there where they were at. But Jacob told Joseph, I want you to go. And though Joseph was his father's favorite, he was not ashamed to be his father's servant as well. And when Jacob said, I want you to go, Joseph said, here am I. He said, yes, sir, in other words. And he went. He did the will of his father, even though he knew his brothers didn't like him. He knew he's probably going to face uh, some bitterness and strife and anger from his brothers in going. He did what his father was telling him to do. And it reminds us of Jesus Christ, who, though he was seated next to the father in eternal glory, when God the father told Jesus to step down from his heavenly throne and come down in this world to seek and save you and I from our sin, Jesus said, here am I. Jesus willingly came, and I'm thankful for that fact right there. And so we see just jo Joseph was sent to go check on his brethren. Let's notice what happens next. Verse 14, the Bible says, So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Uh, about a 60-mile journey he took to get to this place. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? Now i got to stop to say here, I can identify with Joseph very much I would probably be the guy that was wandering around wondering where I was, all right? I'm not directionally gifted. Some of you are. Joseph wasn't. I'm not. And so there he was, wandering in the field, looking for his brethren. Verse 16, and he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now, Joseph had already, already walked 60 miles to be able to get to Shechem from where they lived at in Hebron. And when he got there, he found out his brothers weren't where they were supposed to be. And he's walking around, he's trying to find them. And if he had been a man of lesser character, he would have just turned around and went home right there. I mean, he did what his father told him to do. He went to Shechem to find his brothers. They weren't there. But we find that Joseph didn't turn around then. Why? Because he loved his brothers. He genuinely was concerned for them. And he kept looking for them until God crossed his path providentially with an unnamed man who told them, hey, they've gone on to Dothan. And uh, we see Joseph's persistence here. But let me tell you something. This reminds us of Jesus as well. 
You know, when Jesus came down, in this, down into this earth, there were so many opportunities he could have had to have turned around and went right, went right back where he came from. So many opportunities, but he didn't. He willingly came. He endured the cross. He went through everything that he went through. Why? Because he said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. And by the way, I'm thankful that Jesus didn't give up on me today. I'm glad he went into the highways and the hedges and the hollers to find where I was at to bring me out and save my soul. And I'm thankful that he didn't give up on me. Like Joseph didn't give up on his brothers. And so we see Joseph's persistence here. You know, uh, there is a word that we could say about his brothers here. The journey that they took. It tells us the story of a man who has gone wayward from his father. The Bible says that uh, first his brothers, when they left home, they left Hebron. That name Hebron means fellowship. And they had long before left the fellowship of their father. They didn't get along with their father. They were upset with their father. And they had been broken off from that sweet communion they had with their father in Hebron. The Bible says they went to Shechem, but they couldn't stay there long. Shechem reminded them of some poor decisions they'd made in the past. Reminded them of the sin and failures that they had in their past. The name Shechem means strength. They didn't have very much strength in Shechem. So the Bible says they moved on and went to Dothan. The name Dothan, it means two wells. It's a picture of... Uh, uh, creature comforts, human, human comforts in this, in this life. And they had left the fellowship of their father. They had left the place of strength. And they just found themselves in a place in life where they were just trying to enjoy what they could get out of life for themselves. And if that's not a picture of what humanity, the road humanity has taken away from God, I don't know what is. You see, every one of us when we're born into this world, we're separated from fellowship with our father God as well because of our sin. We don't have sweet communion with God. We're estranged from Him. And then when we come of age, we try to go to Shechem, but we find when we go to Shechem, the place that's supposed to be the place of strength, we find that we don't have the strength to be able to do what we're supposed to do. That we're, our lives are filled with failures and sin and wrong just as well. We can't stay there very long. And so we end up in Dothan. We end up in a place in life wandering without purpose, wandering without any hope for the future. That's the place where every person born in this world finds themselves without Jesus Christ. And that's the exact place where Jesus comes and finds us too. Because you see, the Bible says Dothan didn't give up on his or Joseph didn't give up on his brothers, but he went all the way to Dothan to seek him out. And he found them there. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ has come all the way from heaven down to where you are as well. And you may be lost and without strength uh, uh, in, in a place of failure because of your sin. You don't think you have any hope in your life. But I'm here to tell you the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come. And he has given you the possibility of being able to come back home into fellowship with your father. See, Joseph came to his brothers with good news. What he wanted to come and tell his brothers was, hey guys, dad misses you. Dad's not mad at you. Dad loves you. Dad wants you to come home and he wants you to come home with me. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to tell you today as well. See, your only ticket back to communion with God is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You can't be saved without Jesus. And thank God Jesus won't give up on you. If you'll trust in him, he'll bring you back into fellowship with God. 
He can save you from your sin and overcome all of your weaknesses if you'll just trust in him as your savior today. I love that gospel application there. And we find that uh, this, this, this place uh, so distant from home was a place that Joseph sought out his brethren. But don't miss this here because this is significant for us to understand. Little did Joseph realize in all of what was going on here that the choice he made to surrender to his father's wishes was going to result in him getting put in a pit. Now, don't miss this application because this is significant. Sometimes the choice to surrender, the choice to do what God is asking you to do will be the very thing that puts you in a pit. I did what was right. So why did everything go wrong? Sometimes we think that. And sometimes that's what happens to us in life. We'll talk about this more in a minute, but let me tell you this. If in doing right, you find yourself falling in a pit, God has a reason for it. And he's going to bring you through it. And it'll be for your good. You just have to trust him. You don't quit doing what's right just because it doesn't work out for you. You trust God anyways. Don't quit in the pit. Be not weary in well-doing, Galatians 6 says, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Just keep on going, even if your choice to do what God has told you to do has resulted in some backlash, has put you in a desperate place. Just keep trusting the Lord. And so number one, the first truth we need to remember today is that surrender will sometimes put you in the pit. Number two, write this down if you're taking notes, sin. Sin will sometimes put you in the pit. Now this is significant. As we continue on in the scriptures in verse number 18, we find that as Joseph uh, approached his brethren with good intentions, little did he know the evil intentions that they had in mind for him. Verse 18, the Bible says, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came nearer to them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let's slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Hey, whatever squabbles uh, Joseph's brothers might have had between themselves... Uh, one thing they all were in unity about was that they all hated Joseph's guts, okay? They could not stand their brother. They could not stand uh, God's touch that was on his life, how their father favored him. And uh, we, find, uh, we found already that their hatred sprouted when their dad uh, favored Joseph over the rest of them. And then it continued to grow when God began to reveal these dreams to Joseph and they were just jealous of him over these things. And then that hatred began to produce fruit in their life, and it resulted in them being envious, and it resulted in them having malice in their heart toward Joseph. So much so that now they're talking about killing him, about taking his life. And you note the progression here that the Bible tells us. There's four, there's four things that happen in sequential here. First, they had hatred. That hatred led to envy. That envy led to malice. And that malice led to deceit. I don't have a long time to park here, but let me talk to you a minute about these things and how they progress in your life as well. Hatred is a root sin. It's something that all other sins come from. It's one of the root sins. Hatred is to view someone as your enemy. 
Uh, Jesus equi- uh, 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 equaled hatred to murder later on in Matthew chapter 5. He said, if you hate someone in your heart, it's just as well as if you've murdered them. Why? Because if you have hatred in your heart and you don't do something with it, eventually you probably will murder them. We see, we see this demonstrated in the life of Joseph's brothers. Hatred undealt with eventually results in envy. Well, what's envy? Well, envy is the inward pain you experience at the success of someone you hate. When someone that you hate succeeds at something, envy is that desire in your heart that says, I can't, I can't stand the fact that they got, that, 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 they got that, 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 that that happened to them. I can't stand that. That's the envy. And then envy undealt with will eventually result in malice in your heart. What's malice? Well, malice is the inward satisfaction you experience when someone you hate fails. <laughs> and so now you're glad when it's not going well for someone you hate. That's what's happening here. And that's what happened in the life of Joseph's brothers. And be careful about hatred in your heart towards someone else because the very same thing can happen to you. And if you let hatred brood in your heart for too long, you'll end up doing things, saying things that you never thought you'd do. It's better to do with hatred what God tells us to do in Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Put it away. Let it go. That's the best thing to do. Joseph's brothers didn't let it go, and they had this malice, this intent of killing their brother in their heart now because of it. But I want you to notice how Reuben, the oldest brother, stepped in at this point and tried to stop, put a stop to their malice. The Bible says in verse 21, when Reuben heard it, he delivered Joseph out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit. That is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid them out of their hands and deliver him to his father again. And let me just stop here and say about Reuben, what he did was commendable. By right, Reuben probably had the biggest reason to hate Joseph. Reuben was the firstborn. He should have been the heir, okay? But Joseph, Joseph stole that away from him. And by right, he probably should have been the guy that said, yeah, let's kill him. But no. Reuben stepped in and decided to save his brother at this juncture, but he stopped short of doing it as he should have. While it's commendable that he said something, and it was by divine providence that he did, uh, the fact is uh, Reuben stopped short of uh, uh, stopping his brothers from doing anything to his brother, to to Joseph. Uh, He he still allowed them to put him into a pit. He He should have just stopped them from doing anything. And we find in this moment, Reuben, a lot like Pilate was with Jesus Christ, when Pilate, when Pilate knew, he was, he knew he was, Jesus was innocent, but he let the people have, have his way with him. It's the same thing that was happening with Reuben here in Joseph's case. And listen, his, indeci- his indecision at this moment resulted in a tragedy in his family. And you know, don't miss this application. Indecision, in the end, is a decision. The the prophet Elijah asked the people of Israel this question, how long halt you between two opinions? Listen, you know know what the Bible says about an indecisive person? James chapter 1 verse 8, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You need to make up your mind. Are you going to do what's right? Are you going to do what's wrong? Don't halt in the middle. Don't stop short. Don't be a lukewarm Christian. You need to make the decision to do what's right and do what's right no matter what it costs you. 
Reuben's indecision resulted in a lot of uh, negative consequences here. And boy, I tell you, if you're in, you're in the middle of making an important decision, I want to encourage you to just do what God's telling you to do and forget about what the consequences are. God will take care of you. Reuben's indecision here resulted in a lot of bad things. And so we find that with their evil conspiracy being set, Joseph finally approached on the scene. And the Bible tells us in verse 23, if you're still there with me, say amen. Verse 23, it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat bread. I imagine this happening like a pack of dogs. They jumped on Joseph as soon as he came on the, on the scene. They began to rip, and they began to snarl, and they began to snort, and they began to uh, uh, beat him up, and they took him, the Bible says, and they threw him into this pit that Reuben had told him to throw him in. And uh, this pit, it was probably one of those two wells that Dothan, Dothan was known for. Probably just an old dried up well, narrow, impossible to get out by yourself. They threw Joseph down in this pit. They left him without any food or water. Then they walked away. The whole time the Bible says that he pleaded with them later on in Genesis 42. He asked them to, to spare his life and uh, with tears. All this was happening, but they were so heartless and they were so filled with rage and envy in their heart towards him. They had, they, in that moment, they had no regret for the actions they had taken, so much so that they were able to go and sit under a tree and start eating their lunch like nothing had happened. I tell you what, when I do something wrong, I lose my appetite. They had no consciousness that what they had done was wrong. And I'll just say this to that point. Matthew Henry said, Where envy reigns, pity is banished, and humanity itself is forgotten. There's a lot of hatred in our country today that's resulted in a lot of envy and malice. And we have seen some of the worst of humanity this past year as a result of it. People being murdered, national monuments being desecrated, a capital being stormed. Why? Because I don't like the guy that's in the White House, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you, or I'm going to do this, or... I tell you, that's what happens. We've got to be careful about letting this stuff build up in our hearts. That's what happened with Joseph's brothers. And so there they sat. But then something happened that they could not have predicted. God, in his sovereignty, intervened. And I want you to notice what happened next. The Bible says in verse 25 that when they sat down to eat bread, then they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, Well, what profit is it if we slay our brethren and conceal his blood? Come and, and let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. And then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. As this caravan of merchantmen began to approach, the Bible says that Judah, the fourthborn son, got the grand idea, the evil idea of selling Joseph into slavery instead of slaying him. Now let's just sell him as a slave instead of killing him. I'm sure that they all thought in their minds, hey, uh, it, it, there'll be less guilt involved if we just sell him instead of murder him. Uh, there's, there'll be less guilt and there'll be more profit if we just do this. And their evil consciences at that point in time, they probably even looked at this as some form of mercy. And so the Bible says they sold him to these merchantmen. 
they sold their own brother into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. By the way, Judah was the one who came up with this idea. And thousands of years later, a descendant of Judah came up with the same idea about Jesus Christ. Except it was 30 pieces of silver that time around. Joseph's brothers sold him. They got 20 pieces of silver. There's 10 of them. That means every one of them got two measly pieces of silver. They got to put in their pocket. And they inherited with those two pieces of silver a lifetime of guilt and shame. That's what they inherited with it. You make no mistake about it. And you listen to me and you listen to me well here. Sin always has a cost. It always has a cost. There are some times that when you consider doing something in your life when you really should stop. Because while all you're thinking about is the profit or the pleasure that that sinful action can bring to your life, what you really should be thinking about is the price it'll cost you for the rest of your life. Many a man has had an affair with a woman and didn't realize it was going to cost him his family. An individual has gotten involved in a dishonest form of business has resulted in them losing their good name and losing their opportunity to have a business. And I can go on and on down the line. You do well to consider the high cost of sinful living. It isn't popular to preach on sin today, but friend, we still have problems with it here in this world. The Bible still says in the book of James that sin, when it is finished, brings forth what? Death. That's what happens if you play around with sin. Like the old quote from C.T. Studd, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Before you go farther in your sinful activity, you'd be wise to turn to the Lord in repentance today. Judah and the rest of his brethren sold their brother into slavery. And in all of this, I want you to note down something here. There were two ways that his brother's actions put someone in a pit that day. The first way someone was put in a pit was this. The sinful choices of, of Joseph's brothers, first of all, put Joseph in the pit. It put Joseph in the pit. Now, don't miss this application here because when we fall into a pit in life, the first thing we want to do often is look at our life and say, what did I do wrong? What did I do to put myself here? Hey, the Bible does tell us that there are times when it wasn't our actions that put us in the pit we find ourselves in, but it was the actions of someone else. And by the way, if you get put in a pit because of something wrong someone else did to you, that is not your fault. And if you are suffering wrong for doing what's right, you're in good company. Guess who else was in that place? Jesus Christ. I like what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 19. It says, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. You better mark it down. Sometimes if you choose to live for God, there will be times that other people do you, do you wrong, and their wrongdoing will put you in a pit. 
but God's still in charge. Don't forget that when that happens. And so the wrong actions of Joseph's brothers put Joseph in the pit, but there's a second group of people who got put in the pit that day. Listen, don't miss this. The sinful choices of Joseph's brothers put themselves in a pit far deeper than the one that they put Joseph in. No, they didn't physically get put in the pit, but spiritually, they did. There's some pits you'll fall into in life that you dug for yourself. Make no mistake about it. You can't blame it on anybody else. You dug it for yourself, and then you fell in it. And no doubt that's what happened with Joseph's brothers here. You see, they spent the next 20 years of their life regretting the decision that they made this day. In a pit of discouragement and despair as a result of it as well. And I say this, if you're living in sin, you can be sure you won't escape its consequences. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap. You're not fooling God, friend. You can come to church, you can dress up nice, you can put on, put on a facade like you got everything together, but the fact of the matter is, God knows what's really going on in your life today. Doesn't matter if anybody else, you can have your family full, you can have everybody else in your life full, but God knows. Why don't you just stop digging the pit deeper because you're going to get yourself, you're going to fall into that pit one of these days and you're going to regret that decision. So we find this pit that Joseph and his brothers fell in. But let me say this as well. If you find yourself in a pit that you dug for yourself, God can take you out of it. I don't care how deep it is. God can take you out of it and he can even use it for his glory and your good. You say, this sin, this stuff I've been, God can use that? You betcha. <laughs> there are plenty of people in this room who found themselves years ago, some not too long ago, in a pit. In a pit of alcohol, in a pit of drugs. There are people in this room that have been in prison. There's people in this room that have struggled with addictions of all different kinds. Been uh, married and divorced and all these things. And you, you look at these things and you think, how could anything good come out of that? And yet I see good come out of it every week as these people use the pits of their past to help people who are in pits in the present, to help people find the way out. Listen to me. God can use your pit. If you're in a pit of sin, you don't got to stay there. God can bring you out of it if you let him. So first of all, we see surrender will sometimes put you in the pit. Second, we see sin will put you in the pit. But the third thing I want you to notice with me today is that sorrow will put you in the pit. Sorrow will put you in the pit. After all of this horrible incident took place, I want you to see how it was followed with much sorrow. First, you can note down there was the sorrow of guilt that took place. Look at verse 29. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 29, the Bible says, And Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned to his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? We find here that Reuben was sorrowfully regretting not having done more to save his brother. And this was a sorrow that he, that he carried for many, many years. He didn't do what he could have done. 
He saved his brother in the moment, but he didn't do what he knew he should have done. He should have stopped his brothers from even putting him in the pit. And so now he's experienced this, experiencing this sorrow of guilt in his heart. And boy, uh, there's, more, there's more instances of this in my life than I'd like to admit. I remember one particular uh, incident in my life. There was, a, there was a, a person who came to our church. I believe it was in a, on a midweek service, and this person came up to talk to me. And the, he had a lot of stuff going on in his life, and, um, I, and I really wanted to, to go through the Scripture with him at that point in time, but he wasn't ready. I asked him, will you let me talk to you tomorrow? And he said, I would really appreciate that if you could talk with me tomorrow morning. And so we agreed to do that. We didn't agree on the time, but he, we exchanged phone numbers. The next morning, he, he texted me and said, when can we meet? Well, that next morning, I had uh, duties in the school. I had... Uh, this and that happening, this meeting happening, that meeting happening. I don't even remember what was going on because it was irrelevant. Whatever was going on was not near as important as that man needing to talk to me. We got to the afternoon and I finally got around to texting him back. Well, I texted him back and when I finally got around to texting him back, he told me I already left. He left the area. And I knew I'd lost my opportunity. Well, if that wasn't enough, it wasn't too long after that I was informed that that person had taken his life. And you never like to hear that. But for me, listen, could I have done more? Absolutely, I could have done more. And for me, that puts a certain sorrow in my heart. I wish whatever it was that was irrelevant that I took my time doing I dropped it and went to him. That's what Reuben was experiencing. It was the sorrow of guilt. Thank God for his sufficient grace. I don't, I don't live every day uh, plagued by that sorrow, but it is something I've learned a lesson from for today as I share with you. And I like what the Bible says in James 4 and verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin not doing what you know you should do. There's the sorrow of guilt. Number two, I want you to see there's the sorrow of guile. The sorrow of guile. Look at verse number 31. The Bible says, And they took Joseph's coat, and they killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat, off, the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. That's interesting. Jacob their father, he reaped what he sowed here. You remember years earlier when he was his son's age, he had tricked his father by killing a goat. And now his sons kill a goat, spread its blood over Joseph's garments, and he gets deceived in the same way. <laughs> There's a poetic justice in all this, and it's a sad account nonetheless. Instead of being honest about what had happened, we find that the Bible says that Jacob's sons lied to him. They tricked him. They took Joseph's coat. They just sold him into slavery. They wanted to make it look like he was dead, though, through their father. And so they took Joseph's coat that they had ripped up, and they killed a goat, and they spread the blood all over that coat. And so they sent that coat back to their father with one extra coat, or one, one extra color than what it had on it before. And it was blood. With that, they deceived their father. The Bible says that they sent it. They sent one of their servants 
to go bring it to their father. They didn't even have the courage or the gumption to bring it to him themselves. They were so ashamed. The Bible says it broke their father's heart. So much so that months later when they actually did come home, he was still in deep grieving. The Bible tells us in verse 35 that all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I'm thinking in my mind as I read those words, if they really wanted to comfort their father, they could have just told him the truth. But they continued to live the lie, and you can be sure that they experienced on a daily basis the sorrow of their deception. They had to live with that lie every single day. Every time they saw their father crying, every time Joseph was brought up, they knew what they had done. Listen to me. One person said this, a lie is a very poor refuge when you're dealing with the living God. Every day they wondered, is dad going to find out today? Reminds me of what the Bible says in Numbers 32, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. And when you cover your sin, here's the problem with covering sin. You have to keep sinning to keep covering it. They had already sinned by selling their brother into slavery, but then they had to lie every day about it to keep up the cover. Can I tell you something about covering sin? God promises you in the end you will not be successful. Look at the Bible says, I think this is in your notes, Proverbs 28 and verse 13. It says, he that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Listen, I've talked to a lot of you and a lot of you, a lot of you said you're upset because you think there was dishonesty about this election that just took place. Can I just tell you something? Hey, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. That's a promise in the Bible. I don't, know, I don't know if there was any, 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 any uh, uh, dishonesty that took place there, but I can trust in the promise of God that he's going to take care of it, and I don't got to concern myself with it. But the same thing's true for you. He that covers his sin will prosper. You'll have no success. You'll have no prosperity so long as you try to keep that thing hidden. And by the way, if Joseph's brothers wanted to be freed from their sorrow, all they had to do was tell the truth. Too many of you... Too many people live a lifetime with the sorrow of guile in their heart just because they're not willing to come out and tell the truth. You say, well, what will happen if I tell the truth? If you tell the truth, you're going to set yourself free and you're going to set someone else free too. So long as you hold on to that lie, you're keeping yourself in bondage. There was the sorrow of guilt. There was the sorrow of guile. But I want you to see this third. There was the sorrow of grief. The sorrow of grief. This is what happened old Jacob when he heard the news about his favorite son. The Bible says in verse 33, and when he knew it, and he knew it and said, this is my son's coat, an evil beast has no doubt devoured him. And Joseph was, is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob, Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning. And thus his father wept for him. Jacob went into a deep mourning that lasted for over 20 years. He had never let it go. I think that there was this was probably in part because Jacob blamed himself. He's the one that sent his son. He knew the dangers. And he blamed himself for the fact his son had died. And we see this inconsolable mourning that Jacob found himself in. It was the sorrow of this grief 
Let me say about grief, all of us will go through stages of life where we face grief. It's not wrong to face grief. In fact, uh, I believe there's five different phases to grief. You can write these down if you're interested. The first stage of grief is denial. You deny it took place. You can't believe it. You can call that shock too. The second stage of grief is anger. You get mad. Mad at someone who took the life of your loved one. Mad at God even. How could they let my loved one die? The third stage of grief is bargaining. This is a dangerous one. It's where I think Jacob was. You begin to bargain. You begin to say, well, if I had loved them more, then they might still be here. If I hadn't taken that trip, then they might still be here. If I, that's bargaining. The fourth stage of grief is depression. Boy, a lot of people live in depression. Can't get out of the depression of their grief. The fifth stage of grief is the one you want to get to, and that's acceptance. Acceptance that the one you loved has died, that God had a reason for it, and moving on. And all of us go through stages of grief when we lose someone we love. It's when you get caught in some of these stages that it becomes a problem, even sinful, a sinful problem. And so be careful about these things. Like what the Bible says in Psalm 30 and verse 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And God's still good, even in times of loss and sorrow. Now here's what's ironic about this whole thing. Think about this, okay? The only person to get out of a pit in this story was Joseph. (laughs) His family, for the next 20 years... We're in one of these pits of sorrow, one of these pits of sin. The only person to get out of pit in this whole account was Joseph. And uh, it's interesting to me that that's how it took place. But let me say this to you. You don't have to spend the next 20 years of your life in the pit that you find yourself in. You don't have to spend the next 20 years of your life in a pit of grief or a pit of guilt or a a pit of guile. You can be delivered from that if you would turn to the Lord and let him bring you out of it. I wish Joseph's brothers had known that. So we see when it comes to the pits of life, surrender will sometimes put you in the pit. Sin will put you there. Sorrow will put you there. But here's the fourth and most important truth I want you to notice and we'll be done. And it is this. God has a purpose for your pit. (laughs) I love this. Look at the last verse, verse 36. Let's read it out loud together. Are you ready? Verse number 36, let's read it together. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Listen, you uh, you could not have conjured this up if you lived a thousand lifetimes just to say that this this is how it was all going to work out in the end. Okay, Uh, Joseph's situation, it looked like it was impossible to get himself out of. But we have a God who is the God of the impossible. And we know the rest of the story today. Joseph, through all all these horrible incidents, he ends up in Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, he ends up getting put in prison. And then from that prison house, God raises him up and puts him in the palace from where he delivered the whole world during a time of famine. Listen, it is a beautiful story in the scriptures. But here is the application I want you to understand here. God had a great purpose for the pit he put Joseph in. 
He had a great purpose for it. Now, while he was going through it, you, you can bank on it. Joseph, it didn't make any sense to him. It didn't make any sense why he was getting put down um, into pits for just doing what was right. None of this made sense to Joseph as he was going through any of this. And none of this made sense to Joseph's family either. In fact, later on in, in Genesis chapter 42, his father reminisced on all that took place. And, and this is what he literally said. He said, all these things are against me. He thought about his son, his son dying and then going through the famine. And he said, all these things are against me. When he looked at his life, that's what he thought. Little did he know that all the things he thought were against him, God was using to work together for his good. His family wouldn't have survived that famine unless God had sent Joseph to the pit and the prison and the palace. God has a way of orchestrating even the pits that we get put in in our life for a great purpose. And I say to you this morning, God has a purpose for every single pit that he'll ever put you in. He has a purpose for it. You say, well, God didn't put me in the pit I'm in. I'm in this pit because of my own choices. God still has a purpose for it. God can still bring you out of it. And God can still use it for your good and his glory. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, Joseph and his family, they never read Romans 8.28. But they sure got to experience it, didn't they? And friend, you can experience it too. Because that's what God wants to do in your life. I don't care what pit you find yourself in today. God can bring you out of it. I don't care what pit you may fall in tomorrow. God can bring you out of it. And God has a reason for putting you there. Just trust him. Don't quit in the pit. Trust God. Even when you fall into the pits of life. One verse I want to share with you and then we'll be done. It's in your notes. Isaiah 43 and verse number 2. When thou passest through, when thou passest through the water, I will be with thee. And through the rivers... They shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Three accounts in Israel's history. Moses led Israel through the Red Sea. God was with them. He parted the water even when they went through that valley. Joshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan River. God parted the waters and was with them through that as well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire. And God walked with him through the fire. I don't care if you're going through deep waters, roaring rivers, or flaming fires. Whatever pit you find yourself in, God will be with you there. And he will bring you through it for a great purpose. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes.